Grow marketing culture and sketchy MLMs have given modern business a bad reputation. It feels harder than ever to succeed as an entrepreneur, even though we've got an abundance of info and tech right at our fingertips. If you feel frustrated running your business, stress over your sales goals, or are baffled by marketing strategies, you've come to the right place. You deserve to run a successful, sustainable business without spamming all of your friends or wasting time and money on marketing gimmicks. This is the Sell It Sister podcast, and you're going to learn how to make more money without complex systems or sleazy sales tactics. I'm Erica Tebbins, and I teach highly motivated, female, and gender expansive entrepreneurs that selling doesn't have to suck. I've been running successful businesses and teaching others how to sell smarter, earn more, and create raving fans for over 15 years. And I'm excited to share what I've learned with you. If you want success without truly serving your clients, profits without any passion, or the next get rich quick scheme, I'm not your gal. But if you're all in as an entrepreneur, want to make a difference with your work, and are ready to run a business you're proud of, then get ready to sell it, sister. If you've been in business for a minute, do you have a plan for profit that won't lead to burnout? I'm sure that you have goals, but what about the big picture view of what'll take to reach them without working yourself into exhaustion? Because that is a different story. One reason having a successful business can be so tricky is that once we finally start getting clients, new problems start to pop up because now you're juggling working on your business while also having to work in it. And it's really easy to lose track of how you can keep all the plates spinning while trying to hit higher revenue months. So usually what ends up happening is you try to create new offers to bring in more money, but then you're super busy creating, promoting, and delivering them, or you're extending your working hours into your personal time and it's making you salty. Or you started dropping some of the plates and it does not feel good at all. And there's zero way it's sustainable either. Or maybe it's a combo of all three. The first step to fixing this is looking at the numbers, but not like a giant overwhelming spreadsheet or anything like that. Just simple data that is the most important for moving the needle forward in a more supportive way. And that is why I have a free workbook and mini training just for you. It really is super quick, super short, but massively impactful on how you'll be able to make profit-based decisions moving forward in your business. And did I mention it's free? I think I did, but it's worth saying again. You can find it all at bit.ly forward slash plan for profit guide. This will be in the show notes as well, but to get the plan for profit guide, all you have to do is go to bit.ly plan for profit guide, all lowercase, all one word, and you will get instant access and be able to see in a overwhelm free way, what the money makeup is for your business and then use that to make your decisions on your next steps. Okay. on to the episode. Welcome to this episode of the sell it sister podcast. I am so excited to bring to you my friend, Tawny kale, who is really incredible. And not only does she have an amazing beadwork business, but she is also utilizing her business as a way to help preserve indigenous 
culture. And in this episode, we talk a lot about the ways that she is doing that. We talk about um, some of the, the really important things to know about indigenous uh, craft traditions and uh, especially how that relates to cultural appropriation versus appreciation when we are buying either native created or native inspired items. Uh, We also talk about activism and different ways that she has been an activist, especially as it relates to um, indigenous rights and indigenous culture and just really a whole host of things. This this interview is like a journey down many different paths. And we also, um, at the beginning, share the story of how of how we met, uh, which is something that I still, um, I feel really special and glad um, to be able to call Tani a friend and happy that we know each other. And, uh, and I really hope that after you listen, you will check out her business called Sister Beads. And there is a huge list that she was generous enough to compile and share with me um, for the show notes. So all sorts of lists of makers and information and resources and everything. Um, this, these show notes are just absolutely packed with goodness. So be sure either as you're listening or after you're listening, um, to check those out. And this is such a great one to share with people because I know that so many people do have questions around cultural appropriation versus appreciation. So be sure to share this with your friends as well. So before we dive into the actual interview, I just want to tell you a little bit about who Tani is. So Tani Trottier Kale is an enrolled member of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, as well as a descendant of the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa and the Spirit Lake Nation. After graduating from rugby high school, she earned a bachelor's degree from Mayville State University and taught high school English for one year. Tani previously served on three nonprofit boards, two statewide and one like one local to Minot, North Dakota. Tani is an avid beadwork artist and loves to share her culture with others. Tani, her husband Tyrell, and their four children currently live in Great Falls, Montana. So I know you're going to love it. I know you're going to love her. Um, it's funny the ways that mine and Tani's um, life have overlapped, both in um, past businesses and uh, like current businesses, and sort of the a lot of the why behind what. Um, we do what we do, even though we do it in separate ways. And the fact that um, we are both, well, I was married to a service member. She is married to a service member. And we've we've always, for various reasons, sort of been a little bit um, of the odd ones out in some of the circles we've, that we've run in. So yeah, I know, I know you're going to dig it and uh, be sure to also share with me um, on social uh, Instagram, Erica Tevins consulting, I would love to hear your, um, takeaways. So as you're listening, you can screenshot, post the stories, um, tag me, tag her at sister beads and without further ado onto the episode. Hi, Tani. Welcome to the sell it sister podcast. I am so, so, so excited to have you today. Hi, Erica. (laughs) I'm so glad to be here today. Yeah, that's like, oh, this is just, I've been, I've been like really like giddy looking forward to this because I haven't actually had like a face-to-face conversation with you in what feels like a billion years. (laughs) Not since, not since Mexico. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. So Tommy and I go way back to, it was September of 2015. Um, we, met in Mexico on what, what was called a leadership incentive trip for the network marketing company that she and I were both leaders with. And was that your first LIT that you had ever earned or gone on? That was my second one because I brought my mother with me and my first one, I brought my husband. And then my goal was to meet the second one so I could bring my mom. Oh, that's so nice. (laughs) Yeah. I, that is so, that's so sweet. Um, yeah, it was actually, so we met, I had gone by myself to a yoga class. Nobody else wanted to go with me. Everyone was day drinking. And I was like, I want to get in a little bit of yoga before I start the day drinking. Um, we're at this, at the hard rock, hard rock resort in Mexico. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and you and your mom were the only other people there and struck up a conversation and then became Facebook friends and the rest is history. And neither of us are with that company anymore (laughs) or in that industry or anything. Uh, but I'm still, I, I am, I have no regrets because of those relationships that I made from my time there. Yeah, that's exactly right. I remember, um, same thing. I was doing the network marketing thing and it seemed like the right thing to do at the time because I was a stay at home mom of at the time, three kids, I have four now. And, um, I remember walking into that yoga class too, my mom and I, cause we thought the same thing was man, we should exercise a little bit <laughs> before we start drinking and eating fries down by the water. Um, and what struck me about you first was that you, we're not in this mold that so many others were within the company. And I was like, I like this person and I want to be their friend because, um, as somebody, as a person of color, if you will, I also feel like, well, I'm not necessarily in that mold that you see. And so I was like, Oh, like, look at this person. Like, I want to be their friend. So I just, I remember that. And then, yeah, just what you said, we became Facebook friends and I just thought, Oh my gosh, I, I love this woman. I love what you do. It was so fun to follow you. And, um, I'm just glad that we've stayed in touch. And when you say 2015, Oh my gosh, it hurts a little bit. I can't believe it was that long ago. I know. Right. So, so long ago. And that I it's, I'm so glad that you said that about like how, how you felt about me, because that was very much how I, obviously I'm not a woman of color, but like also feeling like the square peg in the round hole a bit, um, within that, that company. And it's like, yeah, it can be really weird to be in an environment that, I mean, like, just like with many, many, uh, network marketing companies that like MLMs, like they're very like white Christian dominant. Like it's very yes. weird. Yes, they are. <laughs> it's very weird. And when you're like, don't identify, like when you don't check all the boxes as like the, I don't know, like who the majority of the people are mm-hmm. that you're with, it definitely feels very, um, awkward. <laughs> well, and it is, and it can be very intimidating and it, you know, when people mean well, but there's also, you know, what, um, can be called microaggressions. Yeah. And again, and uh, you know, people mean well, um, and they don't know and whether it's because they don't know because they choose to not educate themselves or because they just truly don't know. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and so I've, you know, I've found myself faced with many awkward conversations and like, Oh, you're native. Oh, my 
cousin's brother's step uncle is native too. Do you know him? Like, I mean, that's <laughs> a like real conversation and a real thing that people will say to you. Yeah. Just kind of trying to, to make that connection. Cause they know hard to heart face to face is hard to heart. So people are trying to find that connection there. And sometimes it's a, it's a real reach. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. <laughs> like I just, I just have to giggle because yeah, there's, I mean, that doesn't, it just doesn't surprise just thinking back to like the, the people who like the culture of the company and the people I'm like, Oh, that's so not surprising at all. <laughs> not at all. Like, Nope. Uh, Oh my gosh. Well, we, we won't go down that rabbit hole yet. I think we could circle back. Cause I do know at the end there was like a, they tried to do like a diversity panel with like the fabrics, but it was very, like, it was very cringe. I had, I'd heard from somebody that like, we know that it was, uh, like they were trying to appeal to like a more diverse clientele, but it was very like in this weird appropriate, I don't know. It was very, <laughs> it's very strange. For what that must've been after I left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it was after. Yeah. I think it was after you and I had both left, like maybe like a year after we had left, but yeah. Okay. Um, anyhow today I, well, I very specifically wanted to have you on for the episode that comes out right before American Thanksgiving, um, because there is so much heaviness like around that holiday, uh, especially in indigenous communities and for good reason and so much misunderstanding. And one thing I love about you and is not just your business. Well, I love your business. We're going to talk about that and talk about, uh, cultural appropriation versus appreciation. One other thing that I've enjoyed is following your activism journey. And, uh, especially like as you have lived in places and you are married to the military as I used to be, that is often like, um, you know, where, where you are not represented and you are not necessarily like automatically welcome. So I wanted to be sure that we really talked about that because it's, it's important to me to really highlight, uh, people who are trying to bring about change, but doing it through their business and sort of like what their business affords them to be able to do, like whether that's extra money or extra time or resources or, or anything like that. So I would love to know, did you, since you run sister beads and how many sisters do you have? So I have three sisters. Okay. I'm one of four. I'm number two of four is what my, my number is. Gotcha. Gotcha. So when you like, what, what came first? Was it the wanting to learn beading or was it the wanting to have a business around beating or something else entirely? So definitely the wanting to learn. And I will say with full confidence that the business was sort of an accident. Um, it was not my intention to actually start a business and, um, but I'm glad that I did uh, ultimately, but so I'll, I'll back it up here a little bit. Um, I grew up not on the reservation. Mm-hmm. I was, I'm an off reser. And even though I am an enrolled member of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, I've only been to Standing Rock a handful of times in my life. I grew up more mostly around the Spirit Lake Nation and then up um, in the Turtle Mountains in North Dakota. And uh, when my grandma passed away when I was 10 years old, uh, my family 
we weren't really big powwowers. We weren't really very traditional, which again, going back further sort of stems from the fact that my three of my four grandparents are residential school survivors. So they really weren't given a chance to be proud of who they were. Um, and they deliberately kept language and culture and, and, and stuff from family. So I've had to learn it on my own because again, my immediate family does not know a whole lot. We really didn't um, participate, if you will. And when I was in college, um, my husband was actually taking a Native American studies class. Oh, and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, he wasn't my husband at the time. We were just dating, but he asked me, hey, there's a powwow this weekend and I can get extra credit for my Native American studies class if I go to the powwow do you want to go to the powwow? And I said, yes, I haven't been to a powwow in years and years. So let, let's go. So we went to the powwow and we um, made it in time for uh, the one o'clock grand entry and the drums started playing and the Eagle staff and the flag started coming in grand entry started. And I just started bawling, could not like ugly crying to the point where he looks at me and says, do we need to go? Are you okay? No, it's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. And because it just, it brought so back, you know, so many memories and um, just family and oh my goodness, I, I can't even fully describe it. But then after that, we kind of went down to check out the vendors. And of course I was struck by all the beautiful beadwork. And again, we were in college. So at the time I probably had like $100 in my checking account. And beadwork, quite frankly, is very expensive, mm -hmm. um, which rightfully so, because I understand that, you know, the supplies and the time and the skill that it takes. But looking at it, then I couldn't afford that as a college student. You know, there was no way I could afford it. And so I made it my goal to learn how to do beadwork someday. Um, and it wasn't until 2016 that I met somebody who was able to teach me beadwork. Her name is Dr. Denise Lajamadir. Um, and she taught me the basics of beading. And then everything else was just trial and error and kind of word of mouth was, you know, family found out that I knew how to bead and, oh, will you make me a lanyard? Oh, will you do this for me? Oh, somebody said you bead. And I couldn't keep up with it on my own. So I bullied my sisters into like, okay, you need to learn how to do this. You need to learn. And so I finally was able to teach my older sister. And then finally, a little bit later taught my youngest sister. Um, but my, my number three does not know how to bead yet, but she's mm -hmm. a, so we'll maybe incorporate that into the business somehow someday. I need a business plan. Do you know anybody who can, that? <laughs> um, I might know somebody, <laughs> I might know somebody who does that. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's, that's really cool that you were able to get them on board as well to, to be able to pitch in and, and help you. Do they, are they glad now? Like, I, yeah, I'm sure you had some of that, like that big sister energy and, and stuff to be like, come on, we're going to do this. And I know you have like a really and I mean this in the best way, like a really like strong, like convicting personality. So I'm sure they were like, okay, but are they, are they like, how do they really like that? You kind of got them involved. Or are they glad that they know the skills now too? I mean, I'm going to speak for them full confidently and say, yes, I think they are. Um, it's just funny, the different styles that we have. So I need 
direction. So like, I want to talk to my customers and, and say, you know, what, what do you want? What style, what colors, you know, send me a couple of pictures of some things you like, because while I will never copy another artist, it gives me a sense of what you like. So I can kind of mesh something together. Um, whereas my older sister, she needs to make what she wants to make. If somebody gives her too much direction, okay, like I want this, this, and this. She has such a more difficult time with that. She needs to be able to just create on her own. Um, and then my younger sister, I would say she's kind of a mix. She, she's de- she isn't, hasn't had the time to participate in it as much, but um, we're actually working on that right now. We're, I'm trying to get her way more involved, um, simply just to help stay on top of orders because it's great to have so many orders, but you know, these hands only have so much time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that, that is one thing with a, like a, a product that is a handmade product is yeah. It's just, it's so much different than something that can be mass produced because it just takes time. Like it's the, it's the expertise and like the time and that skill. And it's just like, yeah, you can't, you're not a robot. You're not a machine. So, oh yeah, it makes sense. Have any of your kids started to learn as well? Like, are they, are they into it? Um, so my oldest daughter, I have gotten her to create a pair of earrings before. Um, cause I did it with her girl scout troop. And, um, I think I did it twice with her girl scout troop. And I've been to talk to her classes before. And then same with my sons, um, my younger son, who is eight right now, I've gotten him to loom bead a little bit. Oh, cool. Um, cause that's kind of a little bit more simple for him and, and he's done it a little bit, but he's never finished a project. Um, he's very, you know, he can sit for so long, but he's my bouncer. Mm-hmm. Um, he's up and down. So it's, it's a little harder for him. Um, but they see me do it. And it's funny because I've noticed in some of my daughter's writing prompts, she's a sixth grader. So when I go through her homework, um, she wrote something in there and it must've been use visual cues or something. And she wrote, um, sunlight inside a room, uh, something, something, my mom at her beating table. And it was, I mean, it was so cute. Like, Oh, like, and they just, they know, like, they know that this is my space and this is my room. They know what I'm doing. And so we talk about it a lot, I guess, but as for creating something, I'm hoping that they'll get a little bit more on board, but there's always that boundary between like, well, I want you to learn and you have to learn. So yeah. eh. Yeah. Yeah. Not wanting to like, push her away or like, feel like, oh my gosh, I have to do it. And now I'm like, I don't want to do it. So yeah, yeah, exactly. That makes sense. And for any of, I know, right. (laughs) For any of your older living relatives, what do they think about, uh, like all of this, right? Like learning the language and beating and have any of them tried to also go back and learn anything that was lost that is important to them? Um, so luckily like with the language on my, my paternal grandmother's side, Mm -hmm. um, she grew up speaking, um, Lakota Dakota and her siblings are, there are only three left and one, 
maybe there's only two left. Oh, I'm so sorry. But there's only a handful of them left. And one of them who recently passed away about a year ago, um, they spoke fluent Dakota. And so they knew that language because that was the language spoken in their home. And then they learned English when they went to boarding school. Um, So they knew, they know that we do beadwork. And um, I was at an event and my, um, she'd be my great aunt, but I just call her auntie. So my auntie Mm -hmm. Dynamite was there and she asked me if I had brought any beadwork and I didn't. Um, Oh, I really, I would like to have a, you know, I'd like a pair of earrings from you. I'll buy them from you. And I didn't have anything. And in our culture, if you will, that I'm learning is when an elder asks something of you, you, you deliver, like you have to kind of come through. So I literally gave her the earrings that I was wearing. Um, and she tried to pay me for them. And I said, no, I was going to trade her some stories. I wanted her to tell me some stories of my grandma. Um, so, so they, so they know, um, and I know like, you know, my dad still attends a lot of events and he's really proud of us in the work that we do. And so he tells relatives. And, um, so we've, um, had relatives, I guess, reach out to us is the best way to say it and have make some things for them, but they also do know other beaters that, you know, might be in their immediate family. Um, so it's nice. We try to share as much as we can. I have a great aunt on my mom's side that, uh, reached out to me and about the, these beading packets that I do. And so she was really excited to work with me about that for the library that she works at. Um, so yeah, they, they know, and they know to ask, and I'm glad to help whenever I can. That's really cool. I love that. And I would also love to hear about some of the things that you have done. I know you've because of military life moved a few times in the last few years, but I know that there've also been like in each place where you've lived, you've done activism in the local community around native issues. I know, um, recently I watched the, the piece where you were interviewed on your local news, um, for the event that you helped to put on. But I also know that you, have spoken in front of elected officials. I know that you have gotten more diverse books into schools. And so, yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about, about that? Because I think that it can feel really hard to actually bring about positive change. And like Mm -hmm. one person couldn't possibly like actually make an impact unless you're like Oprah level, but like, you're not Oprah level, <laughs> not, yet, you, no. <laughs> not yet, one day, one day you will, but you know, but you, you have, and I think that that is, is really cool, especially because, you know, I, again, like with military communities, it's like you're moving and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, now I don't know anyone. Like I have to find a whole new network. I might not be welcome here. And, um, you know, people might not like the, you know, in quotes, the agenda that I'm, that I'm pushing. Um, and, and I know like that, that can be really hard and much like with network marketing, like the military spouse community is not always welcoming and friendly, especially to people who don't check their preferred boxes either. This is a podcast. And so I wish that your (laughs) listeners could see my face right now because it is giving away everything. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I, my face has the same problem. Uh, it is, 
Yeah. That's like a whole, that's a whole other world of like, not well, not being welcoming. I don't know, being very close-minded. It's that's, it's very, um, it was very challenging for me. So I can only imagine how much more challenging it was for you. And you have four kids on top of it. So like, I'm sure there's a lot of people who would think like, how do you, how do you do it all? How do you make it happen? But like, really what is like, like, how have you been able to do these things? And and what have been some of those things that you're really proud that you've accomplished when it comes to keeping your, your heritage alive through your activism? So I really had felt, um, that I was missing something. Like I, I really wasn't connected with, um, my culture, if you will. And in 2016, I don't know if you know this, it was <laughs> kind of a big, big year for our country. Um, but it was also a big deal in my home state of North Dakota, where um, even though years of work had already been happening, that 2016 was when um, things really came to a head down in Standing Rock regarding mm-hmm. um, the Dakota Access Pipeline. And so as a stay-at-home mom, because I've been a stay-at-home mom for my my oldest daughter is 11 um, she's 11 years old. And so my quick stay at home mom gig has turned into over 11 years. Mm-hmm. And so I was at home and I'm watching the news, you know, cause standing rock is, this is my tribe. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not some obscure thing on the news. Like this is my tribe. This is, this is my relatives. These are my people. And it, I, I got so frustrated watching the news and watching, you know, who they were talking to and things people were saying and the horrible comments that were coming out of neighbors and, you know, people I'd grown up with seeing these just really terrible things coming out. And I just decided like, I can only rage clean my bathroom so many times (laughs) during the day. I have to take this energy and do something with it. Cause I went to college to be a high school English teacher. Um, Me too. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh teachers were all we're all a little crazy we all are right? <laughs> so, but I was involved in speech and theater and so public speaking is not a big deal for me I'm I'm not worried about messing up because I mess up a lot um and I'm not shy and so I just wanted to be able to lend my voice to things because I really understand that a lot of um a lot of other indigenous people get really intimidated with public speaking because you're really walking this this line, if you will, you're kind of living in two worlds and you're almost kind of code switching. So there's like scholarly speak that's more accepted um, by the majority. And then there's, you know, not, I guess is the best way to put it. And so I felt like, you know, I'm a really good public speaker and I can lend my voice to these things that mean something to me personally, and I can help people. And I want to be able to help people because the last thing that I want is for this world to come about where my kids don't get to be proud of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it's my responsibility. You know, I can't shelter them from the world. I have to prepare them for, you know, what's to come. And mm-hmm. one of the things that's super important to me is making sure they know who they are and they get to be proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm doing my best to model that for them. And that has looked like um, joining some boards. I served on the North Dakota Human Rights Coalition. Um, I served on a board called um, 
North Dakota native vote uh, because there are a lot of um, social issues that Indigenous people face today that, you know, the general public doesn't even understand. Um, and they're passing policies that directly affect Native people. Mm-hmm. And oh, but we didn't know. Well, if you knew anything about Native people, then maybe you would have known. Like, for example, North Dakota tried to or passed a law a few years ago that in order to vote, you had to have a Um, on your driver's license, your physical address, it would not accept a PO box. Mm. If you live within the boundaries of the reservation, you don't have a physical address. All you have is a PO box because that is what was laid out in the treaties. So on a lot of reservations, there's not even road signs. You know, you don't know, oh, this is Fifth Avenue. It's just a road. So people don't have addresses. So all of a sudden, two weeks before a midterm election, they passed this law, thousands of tribal members couldn't vote in this election. So that's deliberate voter disenfranchisement aimed at Native American voters. So just stuff like that is so, oh, well, well, get it, get it, get your address, get your ID. It's not that simple. Two weeks before an election, thousands of people need an ID. Mm -hmm. you know it's it's ridiculous so um I guess just being able to bring light to those issues because lots of you know lots of people don't know that about reservations and the physical addresses versus a PO box yeah and I feel like that is one of those instances where uh if you are in integrity and working to be inclusive and that was brought to your attention, you would be like, wow, we really screwed up. Let's fix this and make it right. And if you're not, and you're making excuses, it's like, oh, that is just, um, deliberate intent where you're just, you know, kind of like, I feel like it's, it's, those are the things that really like get my goat because it's like, (laughs) no, you know what you're doing and you're just pretending like, well, we're doing it for these, you know, voter security, voter fraud, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, 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 no. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I know, so the, the recent, um, event that you just did was for orange shirt day, right. Mm -hmm. The, that you helped to put on. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because while I know that a lot of, uh, my listeners probably do know what that is. And interestingly, I work with a lot of Canadians. So I feel like they actually oh. are more familiar with oh, for Orange sure. Shirt Day than Americans. But why don't you explain a little bit about that and the the event and just like your work around that, especially because it is really significant to you with what you already spoke about with your, your elders. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I believe it was at the end of May um, in Kamloops, um, British Columbia, uh, they found 215 bodies um, in graves throughout the um, yard land. What am I trying to say? On the grounds of this Mm -hmm. former residential school. And the reason, you know, while that's horrible and devastating, I mean, 215 graves or bodies, um, they, that school had only records showing that there should have been like 52. So they said, you know, they, they should have only found this many. And in reality, they found far more than that. So 
this was not breaking news for Indian country because mm-hmm. our people, our relatives knew these things. You know, they, they know these things. They know that, you know, when these children were sent to residential schools by any means necessary, you know, um, some were quote unquote sent voluntarily. Well, if they weren't sent, the government threatened to withhold rations from their family. Mm-hmm. Um, some were just literally rounded up. Um, you know, these agents went out and just took children and brought them to school. So it was this really terrible thing uh, to be just taken. Can you imagine just being taken from your family or to just have somebody come and just take your child and, you know, you, oh yeah, I can't, yeah. it makes me sick to my stomach to get too far into the details. Cause as a, like, as a mother of four children, it just, oh, I can't even imagine, but um, anyway, and so the numbers just kept rising as, you know, finally it was, you know, we got the world's attention about, you know, this is a real thing. This is something that happened. This is not, this is not ancient history. There are people alive today that are survivors of residential school, you know, not graduates of mm-hmm. residential schools, survivors of residential schools. And um, so to really bring that to people, to have them know and understand that, you know, there are long-term consequences to those actions, to what happened to these people, to what they went through affects today and how Indigenous people are today. Um, so our event was mostly aimed at healing because again, this is not news. This mm-hmm. is not brand new information. This is information that we've known. But now that we have people's attention, we're hoping that you know, we can start that healing process that we can inform people to let them know this is what happened. This is how we're dealing with it today. Will you help us heal instead of just pretending like it didn't happen? Um, so I guess that's what our event was really aimed at. So we had, um, we started with a pipe ceremony and then we had some speakers and then we did, um, it took us about two miles um, of a march, and we stopped at four major intersections in our town, and they sang honor songs at each one of those intersections. Um, and so it was really, it was really great. It was just a time for healing. Um, we let people share stories if they felt comfortable with that. Um, obviously, we had some um, mental health care providers, and then some people who would be willing to pray with people, um, just because we didn't, you know, ri- we didn't want to risk re-traumatizing people mm-hmm. um, in case anybody wanted to share who's maybe never shared their story. You know, lots of elders don't want to share their story. You know, to them, it's in the past. They don't want to talk about it or they don't want their families to know what happened to them. You know, they don't want to share out loud, which I understand. I mean, I don't want to share my trauma with my kids. Mm -hmm. So why, why would they? So we understand that and we can be respectful of that um, all while still trying to promote healing though um, within our communities. Yeah. I, I love that you, I love that you said it was focused on healing. Cause I do, I think that that is such a, an important part of activism and, um, that I, I think is, is easy to go, uh, on like, you know, it's, it's can be really overlooked is the, the not always like, it doesn't always have to be like rallies or, um, you know, being kind of, loud while that is important. Um, and, and I'm all for that, but that there is that other side of, yeah, like there is real trauma. There is like real healing that, that needs to be done. 
Well, one of the things that I thought was super interesting was that reporter that we talked to, um, he asked us why we had chosen the particular location that we were. And I had learned, because again, this is not my not my community. I just moved here. I'm still pretty mm-hmm. new. Um, but we chose that park because it was right across the street from an old school that is no longer a school. It's now... Um, it's now apartment buildings or apartments mm-hmm. or whatever are inside there. But that used to be the Indian school. So oh, it didn't wow. matter where in town you lived. If you were indigenous, that is the school that you were sent to. And just because it wasn't a residential school, it was a day school, same pedagogy, same yeah. kind of terrible tactics. And I, I met two um, elders that attended school there and immediately they share their stories and I mean punch to the gut of how some of the things they experienced there so right here in the middle of this town people don't even know the history of that building and what it stood for so that's why again that's why we picked that particular location so interesting even as you say that I'm like because I grew up part of where I grew up was in Phoenix and we there's actually like a very main road um, in town called Indian school road. And I know it, there's not a school that is there anymore, but now that you're saying that I'm like, I bet that's what, I bet that's actually what that was. Like, I think it was long gone before I, I lived there, but I know from older people like saying like, oh yes, there used to be like an Indian school there. And it never like truly, I didn't actually know about residential schools until a few years ago. And it was through true crime podcasts Um, like truly. And it was like the whole, they were talking about like the whole history and like people from the church. Yeah. Literally coming and just being like, you're an unfit parent and taking children, which I know like is still a thing that happens and is just awful. Yeah. It's actually still happening in the 21st century. It's just happening through, um, child protective services now doing the job that the church originally was doing. Um, and actually the, um, ICWA, the Indian child welfare act is truly under attack in our country right now. And, um, I don't know if it's gone before the Supreme court, I think it has, or it's going to where they are truly bringing tribal sovereignty into question. And depending on the outcome of this case, it could affect tribes really negatively. Uh, cause they're arguing that, um, it's unconstitutional because it's based on race and, you know, you can't base things on race because that that's, you know, that's wrong. You can't do that. So if that goes through how many, basically everything with tribal law is based on race. It's based on native. Yeah. Um, you know, and whether you want to argue what race is a social, social construct versus if tribes are political groups, you know, that's neither here nor there, but it would really truly change how, um, the, the nation to nation relationships that this country has with its 574 tribal nations. Um, that so that's, is so scary. Yeah. It's, it's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying for advocates that have been working on that for years. You know, I only know, um, a brief, you know, what I've been able to educate myself on, but there are people who have been fighting this battle for years and it is truly crazy. Um, there's no other way to describe it. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh oh my gosh. I thank you thank you for mentioning that because that was something that like I, I somehow ha- like haven't seen mention of but definitely want to um look into because yeah, that could have really 
really disastrous uh, ramifications. So, oh my gosh, everybody, please vote. Just a reminder. Just vote. Oh <laughs> Just my gosh. Use your voice yes. and vote. Yeah, it's so important. Um, I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure all my my listeners are fairly fairly down with voting, and uh, <laughs> as long as they know me. Actually, today it's funny. It's like it's election day, and I I had this panic that like we had forgot. I was like, oh my god, am I? Did we? And my husband's like, no, it's other because he's actually helping like right now with a campaign in another county. Mm. Um. And, but I had, I love voting so much. I like had like a mini panic. Like, did we not get, did I, oh my God. Like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a really nerdy thing, but it's okay. If I'm going to be nerdy no, for anything voting. I get it. It's, it. Yes. It's election day um, here too. And I have not turned my ballot in and I panicked because I, oh my gosh, I can't mail it. So now after I talk with you, I am driving to the office so I can go turn that thing in because it is so important. Your local elections are where you can really facilitate the more change. Great that people have an opinion on, you know, the the national stage and whatnot, but seriously, people, your local elections, yes. your city council people, your mayor, your governor, like those are the ones that you can truly affect the most change. And I think that's what, you know, people get so nervous about getting into politics. I was, I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. think myself as ever being political, if you will. Um, but I just, start, I'm just that person who shows up. If they're going to have a meeting on something that I, you know, oh, I'm, I'm interested in that, or I think I have an opinion on that. I'll go to that meeting. I mean, it's harder now, you know, given these unprecedented times, if you. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, But previously, I mean, I, I'm a meeting attender. I am there, you know, that has been one of the fortunate things about being a stay at home mom is um, I make the point to carve out time for stuff like that. Um, and I, I, I'm trying, I just lost my train of thought, but local yes. election vote in them. Yes. It really, it really matters. And yeah. <laughs> and I, and I do like, even just how, um, I feel like a lot of times, yeah, people, it goes back into the thing of like, people feel like they don't matter. And so, or they have to be perfect or they have to know all the things. And you're like, no, I, I screw up all the time and, and I don't know all the things, but like, I still show up and it, and it matters. And because it does, it definitely does. Oh, and exactly. And the more that I got, um, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I was some like big important person. Cause that is by far not the case, but the more that I was getting involved, um, in some of my activism, um, work before we moved, it was interesting to share space with people where, I mean, bless their heart, but how did you get here? Yeah. I don't even know how you managed to get both your shoes on, drive your vehicle here and find the right room that we were meeting in. I mean, truly some of the, the characters that are in charge and are making some of the big decisions, it is it was a little unnerving at times. Um, mm-hmm. So that is one thing that, yeah, anybody who is is nervous about, even as a business owner, um, I get that people, you know, they, they, they want to separate that or they need to separate that. I don't, I suppose. I mean, I don't really post a whole lot of political things on my business page, but I think it's pretty fairly obvious um, on my stance on some things. And if you are not in alignment with, with my views, then that's okay. There are lots of other beaters out there and I'm sure you'll find another one fairly easily. (laughs) So that's okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so glad you mentioned that you do have some really hilarious TikToks. If you're listening and you are a TikTok <laughs> person, be sure to follow her account. Cause you have some really funny ones, but I feel like, yeah, it's, uh, that's always sort of my stance is like, if, if our values, like if they don't align, um, or they're, you know, diametrically opposed, like there are other people you can hire. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, it's, we, we don't need to work together, but like, yeah, I'm not shying away from the things that are important to me. Um, and so speaking of like brands, I want you to talk about your, your business and mm-hmm. like how people can find you and how can they can support you. And also really understanding like appropriation versus appreciation yes, to anyone who, it. yeah. Anyone who, um, sees any of like my new branding photos. I have a hat on in some of them that you beaded custom for me. And I love it, love it, love it so very much. Um, and I, and I know like, it's, it's something where I'm like, okay, I just, I like need to double check just for my own peace of mind. Like, this is cool. If I own this, right. Like I'm not like, yes, absolutely. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so, um, but I, I think that this is something that, you know, it, it happens where as people start to be more aware of things like close practices, like ceremonial close practices and, um, you know, artistry and like cultural heritage, it's, you know, we want to be sure that we are doing the right thing, Mm -hmm. which is actually, honoring like what is for us and what is not for us. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? So thank you for that statement that you just made about what is for us and what is not. Um, I think that is where a lot of people just stop. They don't even go beyond that. If they want it, they're going to take it. Um, so for the people that kind of stop and take a step back and have the wherewithal to do that, that is so wonderful. Um, So when I wanted beadwork um, years ago, before I knew how to bead, I didn't know where to go. You know, the powwow was only in town this many times. Where do I buy beadwork from? And so my very first pair of beaded earrings that I wore were from um, just a, a store, like just a retail chain store. And that's what I wore. That's all I had access to. And, um, I see that you see that so much with, you know, things that are native inspired, native inspired, you know, it's this whole aesthetic that, you know, people are, are trying to go for. And it is so exhausting as an indigenous person to see people with just cheaply mass produced prints and beadwork and whatnot. Like it, it's so painful because our people were literally prohibited from our practices. And um, it wasn't until like the 1970s that the Native American um, Religious Freedom Act was passed. So like before the 1970s, like people couldn't even pray legally in the way that they were. So all of a sudden you have, you know, I I don't know if I can say this or not, but all of a sudden you have all these white women who want, okay, good. (laughs) I didn't know I was going to get like beeped and censored. No, no, no. (laughs) Um, But all of a sudden, you know, you have these like white women who, you know, want to wear buckskin and fringe and these boots and, you know, well, again, the culture that you're appropriating 
wasn't allowed to do that. We, you know, were made to feel ashamed of our traditions and our customs. Um, however, there is, so that is appropriation. That is cheaply made mass produced stuff that is not made by an indigenous person, by an indigenous artist, by an indigenous owned company. Um, it's, it's all of that yucky, cheap stuff. Um, but appreciation would be a non-native person buying directly from an indigenous artist, from an indigenous owned business. Um, so that's where you really get the appreciation because you know what? Yes, buy from me, support my small business. You know, that um, hat that you made or that I made for you, it's like, okay, here's this money. I turning around and essentially like buying my husband a pair of running shoes with it. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's how you can support small businesses, you know, on top of um, me as a, as a Native American artist, I guess if those two thoughts kind of go together, I lost my yeah. train of <laughs> No, no, no. Um, no I but, love that. And then, but even more so, so I hope that makes sense. Appreciation versus appropriation, you know, buy from an inspired Native, not Native inspired. Um, but that's actually also illegal is there are, you know, people are always out to make money, if you will, off of cultures that are not theirs, those culture vultures, we call them. Um, but this is one of the things I looked up to make sure, but the Indian Arts and Craft Act of 1990 um, is literally a truth in marketing advertising law. And this is straight from the Department of Interior. So I apologize because I'm going to read it to you because it's really important, I think. Um, but it's a truth in marketing advertising law that prohibits misrepresentation in the marketing of Indian art and craft products within the United States. It is illegal to offer or display for sale um, in a manner that falsely suggests that it is Indian produced an Indian product or the product of a particular tribe. A first time violation um, you can have $250,000 in fines and a five-year prison sentence. If a business violates that, they can pay up to a million dollars in fines. They can be prosecuted and fined up to a million dollars. So wow. one of the fun things, I'm going to use fun loosely here, things about being on TikTok is I am connecting with a lot of other bead artists. And they will call you out if you are a non-native person. Now, beadwork does not belong to indigenous people only. Lots of other cultures bead all mm -hmm. over the world. However, there are certain designs that are most definitely indigenous to North America. Mm -hmm. And pretty obvious, if you will. So there have been beaders that are creating these designs and profiting off of them. And they are very clearly Native American designs. Mm -hmm. um, and even that, I don't even care to use that term because that sort of creates this pan-Indian generalization because, you know, like I said earlier, there's 574 tribal nations. That's 574 languages, 574 traditions, um, you know, proto ceremonial protocols, so many different things. Um, but yeah, what they're doing is not only unethical, but very illegal. 
actually very illegal. That is so interesting. I've never, I've never heard of that. And it's, I, I would be curious on how, um, it's enforced, like how actively it's enforced because yeah, that's, I w I would imagine that like H and M and forever 21 and Walmart are not getting penalized for. Yeah. So what really, what sucks about this is that the loophole is that if you are marketing your things as native inspired, that's why mm -hmm. I said, if mm -hmm. you know, native inspired or native style, um, that should actually be a really red flag as a consumer, because again, what we just talked about, you know, what does native American mean? You know, what are, are you talking about the Navajo, the Diné people? Are you talking about the Lakota people? Are you talking about Anishinaabe, um, the Cree, Métis, the, you know, Winnebago, I'm who I don't even, I can't even think of any other tribes right now, but, um, but who are you talking about? They all have different styles. So just saying something is native American style that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything to somebody who truly is an indigenous person, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it doesn't, and that law doesn't even include literary works, films, audio recordings, mascots, educational workshops is also not protected in there. So that means that there are people who, you know, um, they run sweat lodges or they run oh. ceremonies and they charge people to come to their ceremonies and they're not native. They're not indigenous. They have no, you know, they, they Googled how to sun dance and that's the only teaching that they have, but it's not illegal. It's highly unethical, but it is not illegal for them to do that. So, wow. so many, so many ups and downs and red flags and zigzags and oh. yeah it's I fun. will yeah oh my gosh like what <laughs> just layers of nightmare just you know deep 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 just awful um that that is so interesting though so thank you thank you for sharing all of that because I I was so unaware that that was even a thing in our in our country I'd never heard of that before but I will say like things now with like TikTok, Instagram, Etsy, it does feel easier to be able to find indigenous makers. So you are like all of, I'll have all of the links to you in the show notes, but if you look up sister beads on any of the platforms, you can find you and then see what you have either like ready to purchase or can do custom orders as well. But who are some other indigenous makers? I, we're also going to include, I'll have a whole list um, in the show notes as well, but who are some other ones that you like that you think that people should check out? Um, so on TikTok, one of my favorite bead artists that I follow, her handle is um, at Lenny Bead Hands, and she does just crazy awesome um beadwork so, you know very contemporary very modern but still you know with a a traditional twist I suppose um she's a great one to follow I follow um I don't even know how to say it native Philomena is one um 
it's O-D-O-W-A, Odawa Bear Creations, I think. So, I mean, you can literally just search, you know, bead talk or um, bead artist or something, and you can see lots of Native creators on there. So I'm on TikTok um, at Sister Beads 4. I'm on Instagram. I think that's also Sister Beads 4. And then right now, my Facebook page is just called Sister Beads. I don't have a website yet, but it is in the making because uh, we get asked a lot, you know, what products do you have on hand? What do you have on hand? And while I do have a few things, uh, we mostly work through custom orders. Uh, so people contact us and tell us, you know, we, I would like this and this and these colors, and then we create it for them. Um, most of it is done by me, but obviously with the sister beads, um, my sisters are available to help with things um, as they are able to. Um, and I guess for us, the reason that I called it Sister Beads and not like Tani's Creations or Beads mm -hmm. by Tani was because for me, my whole journey of reclaiming my culture and learning more about my heritage was not just for me. I mean, mm -hmm. I, it, it, this isn't just my family history. It belongs to my sister's. Mm -hmm. So they own it just as much as I do. And I want them to be as proud of it, you know, as I am. So Tara, Tichelle and Trista, yeah, we're all, all these, <laughs> um, you know, they, I, I wanted them to have that opportunity. And so hopefully I can do a lot of the heavy work and be able to give it to them. Um, and then same thing for, for my kids. Um, but I lost my train of thought again. <laughs> Listen, these times, these, these times are not meant for high brain capacity. I'm like, <laughs> wow, like pandemic brain is a real thing. And then you it have is. like mom brain on top and it's just a whole and business owner brain. It's too much. It's too much thinking quite frankly. You know, I keep, I keep looking over at like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I have earrings like ready to go on this stand to be, oh, cool. and I keep kind of peeking at them and, um, yeah, I, I, really love it. I love, see, I brought up Lenny earlier because she's the one who does this on the, on the clip and the embroidery hoop. Oh, cool. oh my gosh. It saved my hands. I had no idea that, you know, it would make things so much easier. I love it. And I'm so grateful for finding that tip on TikTok. Um, that's really cool. Cause I really want to echo what you said was, yeah, with social media, it is, it's so easy to find people and, I love that. I love being able to connect with people and see what other people are making and how they're making it because, okay, that's great. It's beautiful. But how did you do that? Yeah. Um, and especially when, you know, when we can't really get together or if somebody's across the country, being able to share that with people, I just think it's so beautiful. And I'm so thankful. It is. It is. I, I, uh, like sharing, sharing like information and the how to, and like making things easier for people. Like that's, yeah, it's, it's my whole jam. Like it's why I love offering this podcast because I, I want to make it easier for people. Cause you know, the easier it is like the more success we can all, we can all have. So there's enough I love to it. go around. Yes. Yes. There's enough to go around. And I will also say like, I know we're at time, but you, um, you're where, like, obviously people can't see you, but you're wearing your, my sisters are warriors shirt, which I know doesn't just speak to your, your immediate family. Like that is for more like all, all of your turtle Island sisters. And so is there this, like, 
feeling of like it's sister beads. Like, I don't know, at least from the outside, just bringing it back to like the activism and, and like reclaiming your culture and, and that knowledge, like if it feels, I get this sense that like what you do, like you, you always have this greater purpose behind what you do. And like, it's like that giving a voice for the voiceless, like missing and murdered indigenous women and children and two spirit people. And like, like who don't have that voice. And like, I'm sure someone's people, some people would say ignorantly, like, it's just beads. It's just jewelry, but it's like, no, it's, but it's more like it's, it's a voice for people who, uh, tried to have their voice eradicated. So I think it's really awesome that you do what you do. And I hope people are really inspired to purchase from you and to just use their own voice, like through mm-hmm. their platform or whatever it is they, they do. Because even if, even if you only have a hundred eyeballs on you, like that's a hundred people who you can educate and inform about things that you maybe wouldn't have learned about otherwise. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I want to touch on what you um, said a little bit ago. So one of the wonderful things is, so I actually don't like to wear super big beaded earrings, (laughs) which is great. I love making them. I love making them. Um, But I prefer things that are a little bit smaller, but it is really important to me when I am out and I am and doing events and I'm, you know, visiting with people that I am wearing my beadwork, that I am wearing a ribbon skirt, that I am indigenizing that space, if you will. Um, and one of a photographer that I follow on Instagram called Sings in the Timber Photography, he has a great series that he did called Indigenizing Spaces. And that I, I really took that to heart. And I just, you know, anytime that I can show up and, and bring that representation, I just think it's so important. And I, you know, encourage others to do so, you know, if you're interested in learning how to bead, find someone, find someone, you know, it is, it is with the internet and you can find people. You don't have to just be limited to like what you can watch on YouTube. You can connect with a person. Um, if you don't have somebody within your immediate circle, you know, find somebody to teach you that I have some videos on YouTube about how to create two different pairs of earrings. Um, so you can start there if you're, you know, if you don't know where to go, so go to YouTube and um, just Google sister beads. And there are, there are two different videos that you can watch, but I just really would like to encourage anybody who's interested in beadwork or, or, you know, wants to know or get a feel for what it's like working with all those tiny beads. Like I have those videos available, but find someone, find someone and learn, take the time to do it. I it's, you won't regret a second of it. It'll be worth it. I promise. Yeah. I love that. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. So thank you. I know you, and I want to make sure you get that ballot dropped off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So, so thank you so much. I really, really, really appreciate this. And, um, and again, all the links are going to be in the show notes. So be sure to check those out when you are done listening and thank you again. Yeah. Pilama. Yeah. Yay. Thank you. I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much for having me on here today. Yeah. I'm grateful for you too. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Sell It Sister podcast. If you loved it and you want more, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And then head on over to sellitsisterhood.com to join my free Facebook community group. 
And as your mama said, sharing is caring. So if you got a lot of value out of this episode, be sure to share it with your biz besties too. Okay. Now get out there and sell it, sister.